Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, June 1st, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. NATO launches Arctic exercises. China warns of AI risks. The U.S. debt ceiling drama continues. Chris Christie throws his hat into the 2024 ring. Ron DeSantis stumps in Iowa. Ukraine continues its strikes on Russia. The UAE withdraws from a key maritime treaty. China is warned about South China Sea airspace. The U.S. is urged not to use bomb-grade uranium in a power experiment. And NASA holds a public UFO hearing. In our top story, NATO launches an Arctic exercise and pledges to protect Finland. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Stars and Stripes, Barons, Euractiv, and Reuters. NATO countries have launched military maneuvers in the Arctic this week, vowing to defend Finland, which is hosting the joint exercises for the first time since joining the Western Military Organization in April. The Arctic Challenge, held every two years since 2013, kicked off on Monday. About 3,000 military personnel and 150 aircraft from 12 NATO countries, as well as Sweden and Switzerland, are taking part in the exercise in Finland, Norway, and Sweden. The live air exercise, which runs through June 9th, is designed to improve the ability to perform safe and effective joint combat missions in large multinational air operations, according to the Finnish Army. This year's maneuver is the largest yet and comes after Finland, which shares a 1,300-kilometer-long or 800-mile border with Russia, ditched its long-standing policy of military non-alignment following the Russian-Ukrainian conflict and became NATO's newest member. U.S. Army Major General Gregory Anderson, who is overseeing the exercise, said on Tuesday, The U.S. is participating in the drills to build joint capabilities to help defend Finland if anything happened. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, at a joint press conference with Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson, urged Turkey, which ratified Finland's NATO accession in March, to clear the way for Sweden's NATO accession in time for the NATO summit in mid-July. Thank you, Eric. Here on the podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spins. Eric just laid out the facts of that first story. I'm going to start off our first round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by Al Jazeera. Finland's accession to NATO, along with the current exercises, show that countries in Russia's neighborhood are seeking protection from Moscow's neo-imperialist expansionism. For Russia, this development amounts to a major strategic and foreign policy defeat because instead of weakening NATO through its aggressive policies, it has further strengthened the defense alliance. Finland's and ultimately Sweden's accession to NATO directly results from Russia's unjustified invasion of Ukraine. The citizen gives us an establishment critical narrative. NATO isn't promoting peace and stability in the Russian neighborhood, but militarism and the interests of the West military industrial complex. In fact, it's the Washington led military bloc that is constantly expanding toward the Russian border, not the other way around. NATO is not a defensive alliance, but an aggressive and militaristic organization. By abandoning their long-standing neutrality, Finland and Sweden are making themselves vassals of Washington and its geopolitical ambitions. This story has also generated a narrative C-spin provided by Fair Observer. The current NATO maneuver also points to the ongoing race for dominance in the Arctic 
which has so far received little public attention. The vast region boasts untapped oil and gas reserves, as well as large quantities of rare minerals, with climate change creating profitable new trade routes. Russia continues to expand its military presence in the Arctic, while NATO is eager to catch up in this strategically important region. And China also has ambitions. These developments suggest that the Arctic is emerging as a new theater of great power rivalry. From time to time, the Metaculous Prediction community contributes their nerd narrative. And they've got one for this story. It says there's a 62% chance that Sweden will join NATO before 2024. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news. China's CCP warns of AI risks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Time, Global Times, CNN, Sky News, Associated Press, and SAFE. Following a meeting chaired by President and Party Leader Xi Jinping on Tuesday, China's ruling Communist Party has called for heightened national security measures while warning about the risks posed by advances in artificial intelligence. The first gathering of the National Security Commission under the 20th CCP Central Committee urged staunch efforts to enhance the security governance of Internet data and AI, as well as the establishment of a risk monitoring and early warning system. State news agency Xinhao reported that Xi demanded top Chinese security officials adhere to bottom-line and worst-case scenario thinking to prepare for stormy seas ahead of perceived internal and external threats. He reportedly argued the country needs a new pattern of development with a new security architecture, prompting speculations that Beijing could be worried about AI being exploited for sabotage and spying. Despite its goal to seize global leadership in cutting-edge technologies, the latest moves expose that the PRC is concerned about the potential social and political harms of the fast-developing, unregulated field of AI. This comes as, on Tuesday, experts, including the CEOs of OpenAI and Google DeepMind, issued a call to action, warning of the existential threat of AI and calling for its risk to be given equal global attention as pandemics and nuclear war. Adam, thank you so much for the facts of that story. Our first spin is an anti-China narrative coming from foreign affairs. The fact that Beijing has shown awareness of AI risks doesn't mean that the government will give up its ambition to outdo the U.S. in such technology, but rather that it will force companies to be subservient while suppressing any information that potentially threatens the regime. Aside from the inevitable criminal use of AI tools in Xinjiang, China's low accountability for accidents is likely to produce an AI catastrophe. And China Daily has a pro-China narrative. While China perceives AI as an empowering technology that contributes to a better future for humankind and global good, it recognizes that it will bring with it safety and security challenges. It's exactly to reduce risks and maximize benefits that Beijing has been calling for international AI governance with shared responsibilities. And there's a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous prediction community. They say there's an 85% chance that Metaculous will predict that artificial intelligence continues to pose a global catastrophic risk by the year 2040. 
So what happens after the year 2040? Does Metaculus have some sort of deal worked out with AI or does AI start taking over Metaculus? I think, I think that, we that ju- might be what it is. I think we just start over. It's just a big reboot. Yeah, big reboot. In our next story, the U.S. debt ceiling drama continues. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, USA Today, Washington Examiner, Market Watch, and Fox News. Despite some conservative opposition, the House Rules Committee voted 7-6 to six on Tuesday to send a bipartisan bill to raise the debt ceiling and limit government spending to the floor for a full House vote on Wednesday. The motion passed after Freedom Caucus member Thomas Massey joined six other Republicans to vote in favor. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Democratic President Joe Biden agreed to the deal over the weekend, but members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus are reportedly planning to vote against it. The bill, which freezes annual non-defense discretionary spending for two years and cuts $2.1 trillion in domestic spending, might face pushback from progressive Democrats, too as it expands work requirements for some aid programs, keeps the Trump-era tax cuts, and accelerates a natural gas pipeline project. The Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 also won't make any changes to Social Security or Medicare. McCarthy previously said he had no desire to cut those programs, though he is now saying he regrets not being able to look at all spending, adding that he was only able to focus on about 15%. As Congress looks to meet the revised debt default deadline of June 5th, the two party leaders have also agreed to cut back $1.4 billion allocated to the IRS by the Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act last year. Another side deal could also redirect $20 billion of that IRS funding toward other domestic programs. Though many Democrats are likely to vote yes in support of Biden and only about 24 Republicans have said they'll vote no or are considering voting no, Representative Chip Roy, Republican of Texas, said he doesn't think McCarthy even has a majority of his own conference at this point. Eric, thanks for the facts. We're going to start off with a Democratic narrative on this story provided by New York Times. After weeks of coming together to offer Biden a debt ceiling negotiation starting point, the GOP has fallen back to its default position of divisiveness and disregard for diplomacy. Democrats, meanwhile, are proving themselves unified as they prepare to accept a bill that offers them some of the things they want and some of the things the Republicans have asked for. Whether the GOP is playing performative games or not, it certainly has shown its willingness to create chaos, even if it threatens the U.S. economy. The Wall Street Journal gives us a Republican narrative. Democrats were certainly unified in this negotiation, unified in their choice to hide from the debate. This bill is a huge win for the GOP and every American who cares about fiscal responsibility. By capping domestic spending growth at 1% per year, Congress will reduce the deficit and actually spend less money next year than it did this year. It will cut unnecessary spending like the CDC's $400 million Global Health Fund and simply ask welfare beneficiaries to work for their benefits. This is a pro-worker bill that both parties can and should applaud. We've also got a progressive narrative provided by Jacobin. The Democrats in charge of this negotiation should not be celebrated. They have handed Republicans cuts to both life-saving welfare and IRS funding to target wealthy tax evaders. In another show of fake bipartisanship, The warmongering duo of Biden and McCarthy were both happy to ensure the military received a funding boost while regular Americans were stripped of their benefits. 
Biden could have ignored the GOP's economic hostage-taking and invoked the 14th Amendment, but that wouldn't get him the established brownie points he so heavily relies on. And we have a conservative narrative coming from PJ Media. Despite the media hype over this so-called unprecedented debt ceiling debate, McCarthy and Biden have been engaging in the same political posturing that every Congress has done in recent years. While they provide nice sound bites, the spending cuts achieved here still won't stop 21% of the budget from consisting of debt paybacks by 2053. Republicans know that Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid are the real problems, but they are too busy kicking the can down the road to notice the country's impending economic doom. Who remembers kicking cans? Raise your hands. One, two, three. Oh, we got about 25. Now okay. we got about 25 hands <laughs> raised. We're okay. Chris Christie is going to announce his 2024 presidential campaign. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, NBC, Guardian, Breitbart, and Daily Caller. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will reportedly announce his bid for the 2024 Republican presidential candidacy next week during a town hall event at St. Anselm College on June 6th. Christie eventually endorsed former President Donald Trump after dropping out of the primary in 2016. He then prepped Trump for the 2020 debates, but has become a critic of the GOP frontrunner since Trump began denying the 2020 election results. Members of Christie's campaign team said he plans to offer the party a happy warrior who speaks his mind, takes risks, and is happy to punch Donald Trump in the nose while aiming to run a national race and a non-traditional campaign. Christie's 2024 run seemed to go from speculation to reality when New Hampshire radio host Chris Ryan revealed Christie's campaign would focus on New Hampshire and said New York Mets billionaire owner Steve Cohen would be one of Christie's campaign donors. Christie's, quote, tell-it-like-it-is pack will be run by Brian Jones, a former advisor of Senators John McCain and Mitt Romney's presidential bids in 2008 and 2012, respectively. Christie would join a crowded field of Trump challengers, including former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Those were the facts, and the first spin is an anti-Trump narrative coming from New York Times. Christie is the Republican Party's best hope to sell a message of hope rather than grievance to voters and derail the unpopular and criminally charged Trump from claiming the nomination. Christie broke away from Trump over the latter's lies about the 2020 election results, and anyone who denies the results of an election is a threat to democracy who should be kept out of the White House. That's followed up with a pro-Trump narrative provided by Red State. Christie is becoming irrelevant to the Republican Party and U.S. politics in general. Trump is the clear front-runner with tepid resistance from those in Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' camp. But no one is clamoring for Christie to join this race because this is Trump's nomination, and no one is going to vote for a turncoat who doesn't represent the party's values. And we have a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. It says there's a 70% chance that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. More political news as DeSantis campaigns in Iowa and criticizes Biden and Trump. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Politico, Sun Sentinel, Reuters, and Guardian. On Tuesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appeared in Iowa for the first time 
since launching his bid for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024 and raising $8.2 million in the first 24 hours after his announcement last week. DeSantis focused his speech on criticism of President Biden's handling of the southern border, the fentanyl crisis, the economy and national debt, energy, China, and vaccines. Although he didn't mention former President Trump by name, he emphasized his belief that he could beat Biden in a general election. Throughout his hour-long speech, DeSantis said the U.S. is, quote, going in the wrong direction and sold himself as a, quote, disciplined, energetic president who will spit nails and fight the needed battles. After his speech, he answered questions about recent criticisms from Trump, including the former president's assailing of DeSantis's COVID response, which the Florida governor called detached from reality. Iowa is an important state because the Iowa caucuses, which Trump lost in 2016 to Texas Senator Ted Cruz, take place next February and will be the nation's first nominating contest. Despite Trump's multitude of legal issues, which include criminal charges over falsifying business documents in New York and a federal investigation of his retention of classified records, most polling averages have him leading DeSantis by more than 30 points. Thanks for the facts, Eric. We're going to start this round of spins with a pro-Trump narrative provided by Fox News. DeSantis is taking jabs at Trump's unconventional style as a politician in a desperate attempt to make up a major deficit in the polls. When it comes down to it, though, DeSantis isn't a serious enough person to take down Biden or save the U.S. DeSantis is just a puppet of the D.C. swamp. Trump is the only one that can orchestrate an American comeback. National Review gives us an anti-Trump narrative. DeSantis is going on the offensive, which is why any challenger to the former president must do to move the Republican Party beyond Trumpism. So far, DeSantis has had a counterpunch for every Trump criticism, which could lead voters to see the light and realize that DeSantis's policies and managerial skills would be better for the party and the country. There's also a Democratic narrative provided by Daily Cause. As the polling shows, the Republican Party has no intention of deserting Trump, and any glamorizing of DeSantis' campaign is a product of the media needing a juicy race to report on. Every challenger of the past who attacked Trump fell by the wayside, and DeSantis, dangerous as he is, hasn't proven that he'll be any different, nor that he can get as many votes as he can get headlines. And Metaculus is busy with their predictions as they give us another nerd narrative they say there's a 25% chance that Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. They predict that Trump is, what was the percentage on the Trump? 70% chance for Trump. 70%. And then 25 25%. Chance. 5% split between Christie, Tim Allen, and the other one, uh, yeah. Nikki Haley. Na- Nikki Haley, yeah. I'm kind of okay. concerned about DeSantis here. DeSantis uh, did say that he was, you know, that, that Trump is detached from reality. Yeah. I, I think DeSantis thinks world, the world works like a cartoon. He's going to be spitting nails. I think he's been watching too many Popeye cartoons, you know, where he spits the nails. Is he a flat earther? Is Popeye a flat earther? Popeye's not a flat earther, or else he'd be afraid the boats would would sail off the edge. Popeye's not a flat earther. Come on, he's a sailor. (laughs) Ukraine again launches strikes into Russia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Pravda and TASS. In what was suspected of being a further Ukrainian drone attack inside Russian territory, a blaze was sparked at an oil refinery in Russia's Krasnodar region in the early hours of Wednesday. Regional Governor Vyenemin Kondratyev said the fire at the Afipsky oil refinery was contained to 100 meters square, 
before being put out, adding that there was no reports of casualties from the attack. A Ukrainian drone also reportedly struck the Ilskaya oil refinery in the neighboring Krasnodar Krai region, but was said not to have detonated. The debris reportedly caused minor damage, and there was no reports of fire or injury. Meanwhile, extensive rocket and artillery fire was reported in Russia's Belgorod region, with the area allegedly coming under fire upwards of 200 times in the past day. Local officials said at least one civilian was killed and two others were injured. Dozens of buildings were also said to be damaged. Additionally, pro-Russia officials from Ukraine's breakaway region of Luhansk said that at least four civilians were killed and six more were injured in Ukrainian shelling of the region on Wednesday. On Tuesday, when asked by a reporter if the Biden administration was concerned about Ukrainian strikes in Russian territory, White House spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre said, We do not support attacks inside of Russia. We've been very clear about that. However, military analysts speaking of Britain's Financial Times termed the attacks as shaping operations, a standard military practice meant to deceive and meddle in the enemy's mindset prior to an offensive. Last week, the U.S., under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland, told an audience in Kyiv that the U.S. has been working with Ukraine on plans for a counteroffensive for some four to five months. Meanwhile, Russia also continued to launch widespread artillery attacks over the past day, namely in the regions of Donetsk, Kherson, Kharkiv, and Zaporizhia. One civilian was reported killed, and a further 12 were injured. Those were the facts, and the first spin is a pro-Ukraine narrative coming from Pravda. Ukraine's attacks inside Russia are shaping operations designed to confuse and overwhelm the nation ahead of Ukraine's counteroffensive. This is standard military operating procedure and an essential element of launching a successful counterattack. Followed up with a pro-Russia narrative by TASS. Washington's clumsy denials about not supporting Ukraine strikes inside Russia are laughable, given how heavily involved it has been in Ukrainian planning. The U.S. seems hell-bent on escalating this conflict to a global, all-out war. And the nerds from Metaculus are giving us their narrative, saying there's a 13% chance that there will be a bilateral ceasefire or peace agreement in the Russo-Ukraine conflict before 2024. The United Arab Emirates halts participation in a U.S.-led maritime coalition. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, Press TV, the Cradle, and First Post. Following a series of oil tanker seizures by Iranian naval forces in recent weeks, the UAE on Wednesday announced that it has stopped participating in a U.S.-led coalition to protect Gulf shipping. The UAE's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the country effectively withdrew from the coalition two months ago, following an ongoing evaluation of effective security cooperation. The coalition, called the Combined Maritime Forces, or CMF, is a 34-nation task force headquartered at the U.S. naval base in Bahrain. Its mission is to focus on maritime security issues in the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf regions. While the Wall Street Journal claimed the UAE was frustrated with the U.S.'s lack of response surrounding recent seizures of oil tankers by Iran, a spokesperson described the allegation as a mischaracterization. Five weeks ago, for example, Iran seized two tankers in the Gulf waters near the Strait of Hormuz, the second of which, called the Niovi, had been traveling from Dubai in the Gulf toward the UAE's Arabian seaport of Fujairah. Earlier this month, the U.S. said it would increase its maritime military presence in the Gulf following aggression by Iran. 
In response to the UAE's decision, a CMF spokesperson confirmed that while no longer participating, the UAE remained an official member of the partnership. All right, Eric, this round of spins is going to begin with a pro-Iran narrative provided by Tehran Times. The UAE's withdrawal from the U.S.-led maritime coalition is another indication of the region moving away from American hegemony. Longtime allies have become exasperated by Washington's inability to take initiative, and the UAE has finally decided to follow many others in resuming and improving diplomatic relations with Iran. The anti-Iran narrative comes from Newsweek. Tehran is currently heading towards its own hegemonic goals in the Middle East, relatively unopposed, and it is now time for a new Western hardline strategy against the state. The U.S. must now check Iran's growing confidence, rebuild ties with pro-Western states in the region, and no longer answer Iranian questions with anemic responses. And the nerds of Bataculus have an opinion. They think there's a 72% chance that Iran will possess a nuclear weapon before 2041. The U.S. criticizes the People's Republic of China for a South China Sea maneuver. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Fox News, CNN, Al Jazeera, ABC News, and New York Post. The Pentagon on Tuesday accused China of an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver in aerial operations over the South China Sea, with Secretary of State Antony Blinken stressing a day later that this is the latest in a rising number of incidents involving Chinese military aircraft and ships. Video footage per U.S. Indochina Pacific Command, or the Indopatcom, shows a PRC J-16 fighter pilot flying close to the U.S. Air Force RC-135. This prompted the American spy aircraft to navigate through turbulence generated by the PRC plane. While the Indopatcom reaffirmed that its reconnaissance aircraft was conducting, quote, safe and routine operations in international airspace, China claimed the plane, quote, deliberately intruded into its training zone. This incident and the subsequent reactions are the latest escalations above the South China Sea. Beijing has made broad territorial claims covering much of the region, but the U.S. has argued that Chinese claims could violate the sovereignty of other countries. Last Friday's narrow flyby is reminiscent of a similar event that occurred in December when the U.S. accused a Chinese J-11 fighter pilot of performing a, quote, unsafe maneuver to intercept an RC-135. The news comes as Beijing has denied U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's request to speak with counterpart Li Shang-Fu at a Pacific security summit in Singapore this weekend. China stopped military-to-military communications with the U.S. after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's Taiwan trip last year. Adam, thank you for those facts. This story has generated a couple of opposing spins, and the first one is an anti-China narrative coming from the Hill. China's current shift to increasing its international power is occurring at the expense of the U.S. Washington must maintain its position in international politics, the U.S. must up its fight against Chinese aggression and continue to strengthen deterrence in the Indo-Pacific. There's also a pro-China narrative on this story provided by Global Times. Ahead of the important meeting of nations in Singapore, the U.S. has once again deployed a commonly used tactic of branding the Chinese interception of a U.S. spy plane as unprofessional and dangerous. Washington's Cold War mindset against China Continuing provocation against actions violating Chinese sovereignty will continue to be met with necessary measures. 
And how about another nerd narrative? Well, we have one from the Metaculous Prediction community. <laughs> they say there's an 18% chance of a U.S.-China war before the year 2035. So there's plenty of time to, to make t-shirts. Absolutely. In our next story, the U.S. is urged not to use bomb-grade uranium in a power experiment. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, BOL News, and Science. In a letter published Tuesday, a group of former nuclear regulators urged the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE, to rethink its Molten Chloride Reactor Experiment, or MCRE, at the Idaho National Laboratory, which intends to use weapons-grade uranium for nuclear power research. The experts say, quote, the damage to national security could exceed any potential benefit by encouraging other nations to increase their production of highly enriched uranium, or HEU, going against a decades-old U.S. policy against HEU proliferation. In the 1950s and 60s, the U.S. provided HEU for research reactors around the globe before reversing course in the 1970s. Since then, 99 of the 171 HEU research reactors have reportedly either switched to low-enriched fuel or shut down entirely, with five currently operating in the U.S. The six-month experiment, led by the DOE, Southern Colorado, and the Bill Gates-backed TerraPower, will use 1,300 pounds of HEU in hopes of advancing molten chloride technology. The signatories encouraged the conversion of the project to low-enriched uranium, claiming that a decrease in security expenses would offset the costs. The DOE, however, says the reactor would need to be three times larger if it used less pure uranium, and that the current reactor would be deactivated at the conclusion of the project. TerraPower has said that MCRE would be handled at a facility used to dealing with HEU, and that they are already developing an MCRE that would use low-enrichment 20% uranium, adding that, quote, there will never be a commercial product from TerraPower that runs on HEU. Thank you, Eric. We're going to start off with a narrative A spin provided by FreeThink. Decades-old technology might hold the key to unleashing the full potential of nuclear power around the world, as molten chloride reactors could generate more electricity, be cheaper to produce, and be safer and more reliable than current reactors. The risks of the MCRE using highly enriched uranium will be offset by the adoption of clean, safe, and economical nuclear power. Narrative B comes from the bulletin. Dismal performance metrics have been the fruit of all prior molten chloride experiments, as there isn't a single material that can reliably withstand the highly corrosive and radioactive conditions inside the reactor. Energy agencies also doubt that one could ever be economical to deploy. The risks of nuclear proliferation for the sake of an all-but-doomed experiment are too grave to continue the MCRE. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 50% chance that at least 7.21% of the world's primary energy consumption will be produced by nuclear power by 2040. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Have you had any luck lately with your highly enriched uranium? I know when I'm playing with my nuclear reactor, I have to be really careful. When your home nuclear reactor works, it creates a safe bubble for yourself uh, in your home. Oh, I got gotcha. you. But by about, a th I think it's a 300-foot radius around your home, everyone else is screwed. It's crazy because most of my neighbors glow in the dark now. It's good. You, you keep an eye on them that way. <laughs> in our final story, NASA holds its first public meeting on unidentified aerial phenomena. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, BBC News, CBS, and Space. On Wednesday, NASA held its first public meeting since it launched a study into unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, a year ago. The team includes 16 scientists and experts. NASA said the main objective of the four-hour session was to hold, quote, final deliberations before the panel issues a report in late July. Sean Kirkpatrick, director of NASA's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, described how the organization receives 50 to 100 reports of sightings each month. But he added that just 2 to 5% of the database can be characterized as, quote, possibly really anomalous. Kirkpatrick also said there are steps NASA could take to understand UAPs better, including standardizing the process of collecting reports, using more ground-based instruments to track objects, and exploring the possibility of using satellites to detect objects. There are several groups the U.S. government funds that are studying UAPs in addition to the NASA team. The U.S. Department of Defense started an office to study objects in space, air, and water in 2022. Those were the facts, and Narrative A is our first spin, and it's coming from NBC News. Data is crucial to properly investigate these sightings, but it's difficult to accumulate because of the stigma surrounding those who report unusual objects. Even pilots and military service members can face harassment, so instead they remain quiet. Having a public meeting and issuing this report should lead to people being more inclined to report anything unusual. And Narrative B is coming from Business Insider. Although NASA and other organizations must accumulate enough data to conclude these unknown objects, it's somewhat disconcerting that government organizations are considering using individuals' cell phone data to further this cause. This could lead to a violation of privacy that shouldn't be a part of trying to explain the unexplained. The committee should proceed with public input, but without privacy violations. And lastly, we have a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 20% chance that conclusive evidence for extraterrestrial life will be discovered within our solar system by the year 2050. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.